Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. My guest today is my longtime, ever-present, ever-effervescent friend, Debbie Snow Walsh. How you doing? Good morning. I am thrilled to be here as always, and always thrilled to go through topics of the day. And uh, for those of you who this might be your first podcast, Debbie is a builder of organizations and a talent executive. Currently, she's working for Brown and Brown um, Insurance. But guess what? She has a long career of being both a a search, an executive search firm working for the Fortune 200, as well as having been inside. So she's jumped in and out, in and out, in and out. And I'm not even going to tell you how many years. But let me tell you, if you want somebody who wants, who has both perspectives. Deborah is the person that you really want to talk about and with. She also has done global. So this is not just a U.S. focused kind of experience that we're bringing here today. And today's topic that we're going to talk in depthly is hiring the wrong talent. And when we say hiring, we're going to expand that in just a few minutes. So what is what's going on in your world today, Ms. Walsh? Well, uh, I think the company that I work for is expanding dramatically. We're expanding globally. There's a lot of hiring going on and a lot of looking for terrific talent. So personally, that's what I'm working on from work. Uh, From a broader perspective over the whole talent issue, I think companies, whether they're uh, having people leave their organizations and bring in new talent are still going through and will continue to go through picking the right talent to take them to the next level. And that's always tricky business. It's uh, uh, looking for the talent that you currently have and the talent that you have, are they capable of taking you to the next level, to the next growth phase, to the next growth stage? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, promoting people from within and taking them to the next level and bringing people in who can take you to yet another level. I think the first question is always like the the lead-in question, you know, why is it important in the hiring practice or the way you're thinking about talent? So if we look at talent as how who are we putting in the org charts or the seats and how do we assess whether we've hired the right person, promote the right person, assign the right person, whatever that looks like in that. And so when it goes wrong, what happens? I mean, we're pretty mediocre at this at best, right? You know, I think some companies are excellent at it. I think some companies do a really good job of moving the pieces, positioning Mm -hmm. people um, to the next level, assessing the talent, um, doing really straight talent management of internal people um, with the, with the help of the, of the, 
supervisor, if you will, the person to whom they report, the direct report, and the actual person themselves. I think some companies are lacking in the way that they do it. They don't either have an organized method or even their organized method has has holes in it. Uh, I think there's most, I hope, um, hiring leaders look for, and I always quote this, I quote this at my own company, but I, I really believe it. And it's, you know, play, it's a, it's a paraphrased, but Wayne Gretzky used to talk about great, hockey, great skating to where the hot, where the puck is going to be. And so it's, it's looking at where the company is going to be in three to five years, where the company is mm-hmm. going to be in eight years and the talent that you need to take you to where it's going to be. The talent that got you to where you are is super. They've usually done a great job and you are where you are, but do they have the capacity to take you to the next level? If you keep a person in who's done a great job in the past, but may not be able to expand or have the capability of expanding their competencies to where the company needs to be, then there's some problems. And the problems are apparent to the peer group around that person. Mm. And that's where the real pain begins. It's it's interesting because I um if we drop down, you know, because you and I've had many, many discussions about the difference between the top 200 companies and then rest is the the gap is just so huge in terms of their ability to think about this. And what you're describing is, is the reason why an HR person has to be attached to the hip, to the strategy in and of itself, because it's not about where we are today. It's about how do I help you hire the right people to get there? We all say that in, you know, intellectually, we know that's the right thing to do. I don't think there's a executive, an HR person who's listening right now or isn't even listening could say, oh, no, that's not the right thing to do. But what gets in the way of us actually implementing that? Solving immediate problems, solving immediate hiring problems. I need to have, I'm making it up, I need to have four new ex-professionals because we are just getting bombarded with whatever the issue is. And so I'm going to go out and hire those for people because I have to stem the flow of either exits or blood mm-hmm. or clients, customers. I have to make this right and I have to stop whatever's happening. And the, and the normal reaction is to bring in people that can, you know, stop the blood flow, mm-hmm. whatever it is, stop mm-hmm. the, the thing that's happening. And in doing that quickly, you can get a person who can do that, who can mm-hmm. stop right there, mm-hmm. but can't get over the mountain to the next spot. Mm-hmm. They're great at that, but mm-hmm. do they have the capacity to grow into what the job is going to be? And I think that's the that's the biggest issue. I have to hire 20 new exes because I need to uh, stop and I, and I need to stop the noise that's coming mm-hmm. from senior management saying, you have to do something about this problem. You have to do something about this problem. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I've done something about the problem. And now I'm stuck with maybe five out of the 20 I hired that can't do the mm-hmm. next one. It's just mm-hmm. not possible. So do I find a spot for them? Mm-hmm. How much time do I spend trying to find a spot for them? Do I have a spot for them? Mm-hmm. Do I want to keep them on board? Or do I want to gracefully and with dignity, let them move on to the next opportunity? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting because um, what when you were talking about that, it made me think about a client I'm working with now, which I will definitely go back and say, hey, we, I'm not in charge of your, your hiring, et cetera. But what I have noticed is exactly what you just said. They have a um, CFO who is within six months, seven months, eight months of, of um, retiring. And they've got openings that what they're doing is looking for senior accountants. Instead of hiring someone who could maybe come in at a lower level, but quickly could turn into the CFO. It's a small company. It's only 70-ish people or so. So we're not talking like a major uh, company like that. But I think that is the short-sightedness of, you know, I need something right now. Clearly, they've lost a couple of accountants. Um, and they need to fill those positions, but not stopping long enough to think about, wait a minute, it's this time today, but we also have him going out in, in six months or a year. And what are we going to do? Are we just going to bring somebody in or can we groom somebody from within? And in that kind of situation, I'd be saying, why are you hiring anybody at all? You shouldn't be putting all your eggs in the basket of hiring the new CFO and let the new CFO bring in the people he or she wants. That to me would be, you know, the the best thing is to hire that senior level person and then let that senior level person have maybe two months with the retiring CFO so that they could learn the ins and outs of whatever his perception is right. of growth and then be able to slide into his spot and hire in the people that that person wants, which may be different than what the CFO currently thinks he needs. Right. Especially where the new ideas are coming from. So you hire somebody in that CFO position that's going to bring in new ideas and hopefully help this company grow, uh, which is part of their problem, their ebb and flow on it. I think the other side that I see oftentimes is, you know, market expansion and contraction that companies don't really, somehow in the strategy, we never think about or talk about that the market at some point is going to contract. How do we think about talent from that perspective? What what would you, as you're thinking about this, because you said you're in expansion now, but there's going to come a time when, you know, you kind of hit that bubble and there's going to be contraction. How do you advise or how do you think about as you're building a strategy for your company to be able to weather both the expansion and the contraction? Well, I I think the best opportunity you can hope for is to hire people who have have more than one capability. Mm-hmm. who have a capability in this line of business, but can also move their capabilities to a different line of business mm-hmm. so that their business acumen, whether it be talent, whether it be uh, accounting, whether it be human resources, whether it be straight, whatever the business is, have the ability to move from division to division. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, Uh, You know, Jack Welsh was a guru of moving people from divisions within GE, whether Mm -hmm. they were in airplane parts or refrigeration or Mm -hmm. whatever else they were, you know, GE was making, he was a guru of being able to do it. And before him, others that made sure that people rotated through different kinds of organizations. Good business mind is a good business mind. Someone who can read a balance sheet can read a balance sheet any place. Mm-hmm. They can fit anywhere. So it's the viability of knowing business and knowing what kinds of things can be done to make a business effective, I think are the best hirings you can make, the best people Mm -hmm. that can come into the organization. I think Mm -hmm. that's how you keep it as even as possible. 
um, special, we've moved towards specialization probably in the last 10 years. We like mm-hmm. to bring in specialists of everything. When in fact, biz, good business people are good business people. They may have a place where they know more about a certain topic, but they can strategize across a business. They can see good talent. They can see bad talent mm-hmm. and they can see what's effective for the business. Yeah. Yeah. And and just dovetailing on that is how would you interview or what questions would you ask just so that a person could know that this person is flexible enough to, yes, be an expert in this particular area, but potentially could be plotted in a different business. So they go from operations to maybe supply chain, you know, because in my mind, it's it's kind of what people wound up saying about me. It, you're you're a person I could put there and you just solve problems. And yours just happens to be people problems. So what what do you look for to know that a person might have, yes, we're bringing them in as this expert, but you know what? This person has some other things that we can use them for. We could place them over here or place them over here because it almost sounds like you're playing chess in a way. And you are, and you are, and you're playing chess at a real high stakes because it's your business. It's the Mm -hmm. CEO's business to be able to move his or her people around. I think you ask just that question. You ask how you've solved business problems, Mm -hmm. what solutions you've Mm -hmm. come up with. Tell me about them. And I always ask the question, you know, tell me a time when you worked for an organization where you felt you could do your best work. How did that make you feel? And what was it around you that allowed you to do your best work. People love to talk about themselves. We are Mm -hmm. people, you know, we are people that are focused on what we've done, how we've solved things. And people that are self-aware can come to the things they had around them that made them do their best work. You'll get a lot of information that way, but I think asking the questions directly, that question and the solutions. Tell me some solutions you've came up come up with. Tell me the things you're most proud of having accomplished for the organization. Because again, it's not it, it, it's not accomplishments for the individual, it's accomplishments for the organization. We're hiring you for an organization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's what you've brought to the table for the organization. I think those are two key questions. You know, sometimes human nature gets in the way. I know, you know, we like to think we're these logical human beings that, you know, can make decisions and make the right decisions um, in the moment there. But human nature gets in there. What happens when, you know, a person, let's, let's take two things that we know happen. One is most organizations really aren't good at this strategic talent management that you're talking about. And so they put someone in who was great in this position, and then they move them to another position, and they're not great. And and they wind up leaving them there. You know, so, uh, the old Peter principle concept, which, you know, by the way, has probably been researched and proven correct, that what we do is we hire people to their highest level of, of inability or when they get to be mediocre. And then they're out of the game because that's kind of what we think about. It's a game of elimination as you're thinking about going from one level to the next level to the next level. So that person who is now in the mediocre level has a whole lot of issues in terms of why their career stalled, et cetera. How do you help them bring in better talent or talent that may even surpass them? 
Well, I think there's, a, you know, a, a couple of things, you know, I, I went back to the first thing I said, you know, it's very apparent to the peer group of a mm-hmm. person that's struggling, that the person is struggling. Mm-hmm. And so it's how does that affect the peer group that may not be struggling? That's one set of issues. If you brought a person in and they've, you know, they've topped out, they've reached the top of the game and or you've moved them, you know, there's a horrible phrase that's been around for as long as I can remember in human resources, and it's called passing the trash. It's mm-hmm. taking someone who who has reached the top level of, of where they are and moving them to another level where they still can succeed, or it's not perceived that they can succeed. And I think there's two issues there. If you're moving them because mm-hmm. you're legitimately trying to give them a, an opportunity to excel Mm-hmm. and get asked wherever it is. Sometimes it has to do with, you know, honestly, it has to do with a bad manager too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just all one person. It's a relationship. So maybe somebody doesn't like somebody, maybe doesn't doesn't have the talent themselves to be able to help them, whatever it is. So you've moved them to another location, another possibility. Then I think it's incumbent on the hiring leader who's in that area to be able to understand what they have, skill level, and help uplift them to what they need to be before they hire them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just making it difficult and moving people and making them uncomfortable. And there's just no point in doing that. So I think there has to be a plan, a plan of action, not be in such a hurry to put them on a 60-day notice or a 90-day mm-hmm. warning or whatever the you know the, the mm-hmm. human resource issue is. But to say, these are the things that have to happen for you to be successful here. Mm-hmm. How can I help you get to that level? What kinds of coaching? What kinds of um, uh, intellectual classes? What kind? What kinds of help can I give you to get there? Who would you want to sit with? Who could help you look at that? And to take those 60 or 90 day warning things and make them useful, make, make them useful and really see if there's another opportunity. Sometimes it has to do with someone not being comfortable with an area of the job that they have to do in that job description. You know, the easiest thing is a person that's not a salesperson that's in a sales job or in a sales mm-hmm. job, and mm-hmm. they just don't have that skill set, nor do they want that skill set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then you put them in a support role and mm-hmm. maybe they excel there in a support situation. So there's lots of things that go on. I mean, before I give up on people, unless they've taken a knife and committed murder in front of me, I would like to see how I can help expand their abilities. You bring up something else that um, we really don't hold managers responsible for or accountable. I should say we say you're responsible for it, but we definitely don't hold them accountable for that kind of thinking. And I find it interesting that, you know, we we ask managers to take on people that we deem very good. Yet we don't really come up with a plan to help that manager who's helping, who's supposed to be providing the help with a plan of action. When you are talking to the HR crowd, or even when you or the people that report to you, Debbie, are, are seeing this in the organization and you guys are having your meetings talking about, hey, you know, Denise needs to move and we're going to move her over here. Here are the reasons. What do we need to do in terms of support? How do you approach that manager who probably doesn't know how to think about this? Well, I, you know, I think 
part of it is, you know, we're really good at at holding um, leaders' feet to the fire in terms of profitability mm-hmm. and in terms of numbers mm-hmm. across the board at all organizations I've ever seen, consulted with, or been in. Mm-hmm. Um, but not so good at seeing the retention of their people and seeing the hiring of new people and the leadership of their people. And it's not a matter of whether their people love them, although that is certainly a component, but it's whether the people in their organization feel like they have been seen and heard mm-hmm. and help to nurture, to be nurtured and to learn and to be promoted. Um, I think that the conversation is right there, is, is right there. How do you, you know, what kinds of things are you planning on giving your five, your eight direct reports to help them do their job better? And what kinds of plans do you have for each one of them? What's in their, you know, performance review, I guess, but what's in their performance goals to help them expand? Do they want to expand Mm -hmm. or do they want to be an expert in right where they are and they don't want to be promoted or don't have a huge desire to move across the organization. They want to be the senior vice president in charge of looking out the window. That's all they ever wanted to be. That's what they want to be now. They don't want to be anything else. Mm -hmm. They're excellent at their job. Then you know to leave them where they are and not look to promote them and not Mm -hmm. look for them to be promoted and give Mm -hmm. you more than that. We're talking a lot and I always say, We shouldn't put 100% of this whole thing on the manager. I think the employee um, has some, if you don't ask and if you don't tell, you'll get whatever somebody else thinks for you. And you got to, you know, you got to decide to to put that up. What are some things that a person needs? Because some people who are listening to this may be individuals who are sitting there and realizing that their manager isn't really helping them or the team to grow in any kind of way, but nobody's ever asked and the company doesn't look like it's asking those questions or maybe they are, they're doing the nine box or some other succession planning thing here. How do I, how would I as an individual proactively go to my manager and start having this conversation? Well, being an advocate for yourself. Um, Moms and dads are really good at being advocates for their children. It's those same kinds of lessons, being an advocate for yourself. So, Having the difficult, what may be perceived as difficult, but is an honest, open dialogue with your hiring leader or your current manager saying, Mm -hmm. these are my dreams and goals. Mm -hmm. These are the skills I have to get there. Mm -hmm. These are are the skills I believe I have to get there. I'd like to know what you think about that. These are the skills I perceive are needed to get to that level or that job or that division. And I'd like your help in doing those things. Where can I get that help? That start that opens the door. It starts the conversation with the next level up of saying, you know, it may be a wow, I didn't know you wanted to do that, Debbie. Yes. I thought you always wanted to do this. Well, no, I want to move up just like the next Joe. You know, mm-hmm. I I want to be this. And I've done this. Let's say you got an additional degree. Let's say you got a certification. Let's say you went, you know, you asked for and were given an opportunity to go to some kind of an association meeting. I've done these things on my own. I've asked for them. You've given them to me. I've 
done this. You know, I got certified in this. So that was to lead me to here. So I'd like to have that conversation about my career because Mm -hmm. it is my career. It is not the leader's career. Mm -hmm. So it's two-sided. He or she has to be able to open doors for you. And in other ways, they if they say, gee, I don't think you're ready or gee, I don't think you think you have the skills, then the next question is why? Where do you think I'm lacking? And then mm-hmm. why do you think I'm lacking? Can you give me specific instances of why that is? I think we've all been in the situation where a leader sees you one way and you see yourself a different way. And I think those are hard uh, conversations. They're not hard conversations, but they're hard thoughts to have when you leave the conversation for you to decide whether this is the company for you or not. Or whether it doesn't have to do with the company, it has to do with the leader. Mm-hmm. So if the leader is not for you, the leader doesn't see you that way, I think the next question you have to ask yourself and being an advocate for yourself is, will my leader ever change her or his vision picture of me? What have I seen in other people that that leader, you know, there's talk all over the workplace. Mm-hmm. Have I seen that leader move off of a of a view that they had of another person, have I seen them change their opinion? Because if if there's not been a a view that the leader can change the opinion, then, you know, the once the leader forms the opinion, they're not going to change it. So you Mm -hmm. can stand on your head and it's not going to be different. Mm -hmm. So then you need to move from that leader. So then you start looking internally to what other positions, you know, and now much easier when things are posted all over creation for Mm -hmm. you to see other opportunities and other leaders. And then Mm -hmm. I think when you look to those and you look to interview, you see what those other leaders have that your leader doesn't have that may offer you an opportunity to get to where your dream, where your goal is. Does it change now that we're really moving into, you know, workforce of the future here and a lot of companies, particularly with knowledge workers, or, um, you know, desk workers, however you want to call them now, they don't really have that opportunity to be seen. The only time that they're seen is on the Zoom or the Microsoft, you know, Teams meeting or something like that, which I think inherently limits your manager's perception of who you are out of this. What would What are things that now that we're in this kind of hybrid situation or remote, some companies are 100% remote. Is it different? I think it is different. I don't think it's bad or good, wrong or right. I think it is just different. Um, I, I think you can't put a judgment on it. Um, I, you know, I've, I've had this conversation with other leaders saying, you know, I, I feel like my people need to be at work at 100% of the time because I need to see them. And I say, mm-hmm. are you in the office 100% of the time? Yeah, on the golf course. You're entertaining clients, customers. You're in meetings outside of the office. So they don't see you 100% of the time. And they have a judgment about you from not having seen you. Mm -hmm. I I just want to have the conversation for people to not have a, it has to be this way. It's always been a certain amount of remote. If you see your salespeople in the office five days a week, they're not selling anything. Mm -hmm. So salespeople, you know, I can remember when I was the underling salesperson, our head of sales was in maybe one week a month. Mm -hmm. And other than that, he was on the road. And if you wanted to see him, you needed to get an appointment with him for the week that he was in. Fantastically successful. 
mm-hmm. never in the office. And pretty much your CEO is not in the office all the time either. And the heads of offices are usually not. So using that as an example, I have trouble with. So the people under those people see the people that come in the office, but the leaders really don't. I don't know how we get to some kind of understanding of that, but yes, it's different. I think it's making yourself uh, notable when you're on a Zoom call. I think it's asking to be included in meetings where there's fewer than 70 people on a Zoom call. (laughs) I think it's asking for a meeting on a regular basis, a Zoom meeting with your leader and being able to bring this up and being part of teams and volunteering to be part of things for the office and part of things for your group so that you're noticed even on Zoom, even on Teams meetings, you're a notable person of getting things done. It's asking to be included, whether it's in the office or not in the office. I I don't think that's going to go away for a while. I, it is always a relationship, isn't it? And that's what you're saying. Yes. It's really having a relationship. It doesn't matter if you at least have to like your boss. You don't have to love your boss, but you have to like your boss enough to be able to work with them, to have these conversations. Um, Because only if you feel like you've got something invested with your boss, will you even approach a difficult conversation. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the same is for your boss. You know, some bosses will be superior enough to be able to hire people that are stronger than they are in different Mm -hmm. aspects. Trouble can arise when you hire a person who's stronger than you are in a lot of aspects because they may end up getting promoted over you. And that's okay too, because everybody has a role to play, but it takes a big heart and and a small ego to be able to see that they've made a great hire and that that great hire might have more to offer in a different capacity. Um, But I think hiring straight, solid business people or knowing that you're hiring specialists and that's mm-hmm. where they're going to be and saying to that specialist if you know when you're doing the hiring when you're interviewing is this where you want to be your whole life what's the dream what's the goal where do you want to be from this point forward how can i help you get there you know you've been a business owner i've been a business owner minimal 20 years between the two of us um or each excuse me 20 20 years each and one of the things we see is a lot of people will jump in figure out that running a business is way different than being a specialist or a generalist business person inside it. And if the right opportunity came to them, they would go back in. So I'm asking, so there's this pool of people who are kind of learning and usually you figure out running a business isn't fun until like the third year or something. As you're talking to your team and the HR folks who um, are peers of yours, are you asking them to rethink what where the pool is. So, you know, we used to talk about don't go always to Stanford or the big five colleges. Don't always go to the big five companies. Look for that hungry talent that's capable. Have you shifted away from thinking about where in our competitors pool to how else can we do that? And what are some of the tactics you guys are doing? You know, I would have to say we're we're shifting in the opposite direction. We mm-hmm. we as a company has have pulled people from all over, mm-hmm. not from our competitors. Mm-hmm. We are shifting to look at who can we pull from our competitors mm-hmm. and who do we think can do the job uh, and and more importantly than do the job I mean, or as important as do the job is who will fit culturally with what we believe mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, 
we're a forever company, we're a long-term company, we're looking for people who want to light like a bug. You know, they want to stay, mm-hmm. they don't want to hop. It's uh, a different kind of culture because of it. And this is the first time that I can see that the company has really looked to the competitors to hire from the competitors rather than to look for people that we can hire who have uh, the hungry, the hungry eye and have business talent, mm-hmm. but don't know our business. Mm-hmm. So we're doing just the opposite. Mm-hmm. And what we're telling people is let's, you know, let's look at uh, who we think could make it from the competitors with our culture and see where those are and doing pipelining there. You said you all just started doing that. If uh-huh. somebody is thinking about going the opposite direction, because a lot of companies actually are doing exactly what you're saying now, and they were thinking about going the opposite direction, where would they look? What? How would they start this process? I think looking for, uh, you know, and again, you have lots of opportunities to look at people on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, people uh, in associations. Uh, you know, I, th- I think you look at your associations, you look at the colleges and universities that put out the degree that's closest to what you need to have in your organization. So alumni associations, associations for your industry, mm-hmm. I think um, outside of your direct competitors, people who run businesses that are similar to your competitors or a step beyond your competitors that do um, you know, manufacturing maybe of things that your competitors use. So a mm-hmm. step removed mm-hmm. and you look at those business people and see how closely aligned you can have and have informational interviews, you know, call up Barb Smith and Joe Blow and, and ask them if they talk to you about how, how closely they think they or people within their business align with what you do. Mm-hmm. Informational inter- interviewing. That's all just informational interviewing. We look at it as a candidate doing informational interviewing. Right. What if some of the best recruiters do informational interviewing for companies that are related to your business, but not in your business? Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. It takes a week. It takes one week of your time. Yeah. So two or three of your best recruiters, not your lower level, your best, your most experienced recruiters, and ask them to do informational interviewing with 10, 20 people. Mm -hmm. Take them off of everything else for a week. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So- there's lots of things that could go wrong. Anything you want to highlight before we say goodbye? Well, I think making a making the wrong hire yeah. or promoting the wrong person has long-term and painful effects on the team. I think people are are really careful about making the correct hire, but every hire you make sends a message. Sends a message whether it's male or female, sends a message whether it's white or any other color, sends a message whether it's gay or straight, sends a message whether they come out of the industry or they don't. Everything sends a message. If the person is not as strong a leader, it will be noted in the first 30 days. If the person is an extremely strong leader, it will be noted in the first 30 days. If a person is inquisitive, asks a lot of questions, wants to get a clear understanding, it all happens in the first 30 days. Um, So you have those 30 days to make a plan with the candidate that you decide to hire. Mm -hmm. This is what I want you to be doing in the first 30 days. These are the people I want you to see. These are the relationships I want you to make. This is why. Because to me, you can tell me to do something. You need to tell me why. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing that? Why is it important? Why is it important for the company? 
Why is it important for your success? Why is it important for my success? So an assimilation plan, critical Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. first 30 days. Absolutely Mm -hmm. critical. That's interesting. You're saying the first 30 days. Um, A lot of people, you know, it's really the first 90 days, you know, for oh, years, yeah. and years and years and years. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 90 days, 90 days. First 90 days. So, so it's almost like, okay, uh, yeah, when we had 90 days, we could. Today, yeah. we're down to 30. That what, When did he write that book? About 2010, 2008? No, oh, I think it was before then. Okay. Well, we don't have 90 days anymore. I don't have yeah. 90 days, nor do you. You got yeah. 30 days. Yeah. 30 days to make it work. Yeah. And in those 30 days, that's why the assimilation plan is so important. Because you got to do it fast. Yeah. And that's and that really is on probably 80% of it is on the hiring manager. And the other 20% is on the candidate, is on mm-hmm. the new hire. Mm-hmm. These are the things I think I need to do. These are the things I think I need you to do. So you have to come up with that plan in those first 30 days. All right, guys, you know, um, time is up. And you can contact Debbie, her uh, information, if you want to have more conversations with her around this topic or send her something, information will be in the show notes. On that note, I will say goodbye, Debbie. Have a great week. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Every Thursday, a new one pops down or a new podcast drops down. And I hope to know that you're there. And if you like, send me something. Bye. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.